Well, as we dive into the Word of God here together, let's bow in a word of prayer, asking for God's assistance. Our Father, we love you and we love your Word and we want to hear from your Word now. I pray that you would please illumine our minds by your Spirit to the truth that you have revealed in your Word. And may you strengthen our faith that we might be stronger believers walking out of here this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you know what is the best-selling Christian book of all time outside of the Bible? The best-selling Christian book of all time outside of the Bible. Anybody know it? Pilgrim's Progress. That's right. Pilgrim's Progress. This is a book that was first published in 1678 and has yet to be out of print. It was written by John Bunyan. And it is an allegory of the Christian life, meaning that it tells a story and each aspect of the story has some sort of a truth to tell about the Christian life as revealed in the Word of God. The main character is Christian to help us to identify this allegory as being about the Christian life. And it rep- he represents a person moving from unbelief to salvation, to finally entering heaven one day, known as the celestial city, where his pilgrimage is then complete. Now, I am currently reading an adaptation of this uh, book to my girls called Little Pilgrim's Progress, uh, in which the main character is named Little Christian. And we've tracked with Little Christian, uh, as we've seen him meet many different people along the road. And as little Christian is moving toward the celestial city and is excited to go there, there are different people that come onto the path, and many claim to be servants of the king. And they claim to be traveling to the celestial city. But as little Christian and his companions, his few companions that he has, finds out that there are many who make such a claim... But they are not wholly true to the king. There are many who say that they are true servants, but they actually exhibit a false faith. They're not wholly true to the king, and they ultimately will not make it to the celestial city. They have names that Bunyan chose in order to help us to understand the error in their ways. Names that uh, my girls said, these people have funny names. And it's true. Names such as formalist, such as hypocrisy, ignorance, worldly, talkative, vain confidence, and unbelief. Now, I describe this for us this morning because it illustrates a truth which is present with us even today. And that's one of the enduring realities of the book Pilgrim's Progress is that it's a truth It's truths identified from the Word of God that are true of Christians in all ages. And it's a difference between true faith and false faith. True faith and false faith. And in reality, this difference between true faith and false faith is, in one sense, as far apart as the two rims of the Grand Canyon. They're, they're, They're miles apart. True faith and false faith. But in another sense, they are really as close as two sides of the same street, as if 
the two sidewalks lying 15th behind us. That they're really just across the way. They look so close. They're going in the same direction, but they're really ending up in two different destinations. And this is important for us today that we be assured that we truly have true faith. That we aren't like one of these confused people upon the road in Pilgrim's Progress that actually do not have true faith. And we want to have this faith that the Bible calls us to so that we might have eternal life and might be saved from our sins. And this is what our passage is going to help us to identify this morning. So if you're not there already, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. To the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking in verses 39 through 45 this morning. This is the account of Mary, the mother of Jesus, meeting Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And to see the the words that are exchanged between the two of them. So let's read those verses together. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This passage is a linchpin passage that stands between what we've already covered, the two separate announcements of the births of John the Baptist and and Jesus, and then what follows, which is the accounts of those two births, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. And as those two separate accounts are on either side of this text, together they, they merge together with their mother's meeting here in Judah. Now Luke is in the midst of continuing to show the special arrival of Jesus. Again, his, his purpose in writing is to show how great Jesus the Messiah is and how he came to bring salvation for all people. And he's doing that here even in the beginning to show how his arrival was so special. His, his own birth was announced by an angel. And the one who was going to announce his birth, John, his birth was announced by an angel. These are amazing cosmic things that are going on. And yet in the midst of these grand events, we see Mary and Elizabeth. And even the baby John exhibit real authentic faith that we should mimic in our own lives. And so, this morning, through this text, we're going to see three characteristics of true faith. Three characteristics of true faith that you and I might exercise such faith in our everyday lives. This is a faith that you and I need to display Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day of the week in order to show our faith in Christ. 
the first characteristic that we're going to see of true faith is that true faith takes action. True faith takes action. And we see this in verses 39 and 40. Look at those with me. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Now the narrative picks up where it left off. As if you were here with us last week, we we know that Mary has just been told the wonderful news by an angel that she, being a virgin, was going to give birth to the Messiah. And that as a sign for this wonderful miracle, that an angel had told her that her aged relative Elizabeth was also with child. And so verse 39 simply picks up where verse 38 left off. And it speaks to Mary's next actions. What does she do after hearing the words of the angel? Well, it says that she arose and went with haste. In those days, a common phrase by Luke, really found uniquely among him as he uses it in his narrative to describe the events of Jesus' life and ministry. Meaning the, the days in which these events have been taking place. And it's in those days that Mary arose and went with haste. Upon hearing the words of the angel, Mary packed her bags and got out of town. She didn't wait around. She left quickly, it says. Went with haste. Now, why did she go? Why did she go? Well, she wasn't given an explicit command to go to go see Elizabeth. In other words, the angel didn't say, go to Elizabeth and see this sign. But the words of the Lord through the angel was that this is a sign to you. And so in order to help strengthen her faith or to help confirm what the angel had said, she goes to see that this is true. It was a physical thing that she could see and that could confirm her faith in this amazing Miracle that was promised to her. Now, all indications is she went alone. There's no Joseph. There's no, uh, her mother didn't go with her. There's no friends. She just packed her bags and in faith, I got to see what this angel talked about. This is amazing that what God is doing, going to do in me. And it sounds like God's already done something amazing in my relative Elizabeth. I got to go see this. And so she goes into the hill country to a town in Judah, to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, the hill country of Judah is a region of steep hills and ravines that created an area of relative high elevation through the central part of the country of Israel. If you start at the Mediterranean Sea and you start moving towards the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, then you, you come to the coastal plain, which is very flat, and then you come to the Shvela, which is some lower hills, and then you hit the hill country that has some more of the, the steep sides, the deep ravines, and that is known as the hill country. And that's where cities such as Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Hebron all sit within this hill country, kind of a, the backbone of the country of Israel. And it's to this country, this hill country, that Mary goes. Now, we don't know the exact city that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in. Tradition has it that they lived in a town known as Ein Karem. Now, 
This is now currently a suburb of modern Jerusalem. But there are indications that uh, this is seen in antiquity to be the place of where Elizabeth and Zechariah live. There are old churches, even from the 4th century, that date this as the site of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But even the 4th century A.D. is a long time from when uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, several hundred years. So there's a, we can't know for certain, but uh, that is at least a, a guess that is uh, with us here today. But Luke's point is not to highlight the specific city, but is the general region, the hill country. This was about 80 to 100 miles south of Nazareth. Nazareth and Galilee in the north, she had to travel all the way down into the hill country of Judah. And this would have taken three to four days for Mary to get there. And upon entering the house, she greets Elizabeth. Now, we don't know what this greeting would have been. Was it a quick hello? Uh, was she? Was this greeting that said here, is, is, it, is it her spilling everything that the angel told her? We don't know. I'm inclined to think it was simply a warm greeting as these, these ladies initially greet and interact. In other words, I don't think there's many moments that have passed from the times that they greet to what then Elizabeth says. I think it's simply a, a quick greeting and embrace and then Elizabeth speaks. But we've got to realize what's going on here. This is the first time that these two women have seen each other since becoming pregnant. Both by miracle of the Lord. One is advanced in age, the other is barely out of childhood. And yet they have a unique bond and share something special. One is carrying the Son of God, and one is carrying a great prophet who will prepare God's people to receive this Son of God. These ladies have such a special role, and they're here they're able to greet and meet and to share something that, that no one else can understand and no one else can share with them. But it's in these couple of verses that I want us to see how Mary's faith has expressed itself in action. Mary's faith was clearly on display, as we saw last week, in her response to the angel. The angel Gabriel gave her news that was to change her life forever. And not just the fact that she was now going to carry a child, she was preparing for that as being married to Joseph and hopefully to have children, but in the way that it came about. She had to know that it would be difficult for people to believe her when she began to show signs of her pregnancy that she had been con- that the child in her had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. People going, yeah, right. Tell us the truth, Mary. There would no doubt be, have been looks of shame and words of gossip for this young woman. But she says, as we saw in verse 35, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believed the words of the Lord. She submitted herself to the Lord's sovereign authority over her. But that faith didn't result in her simply sitting around. She acted upon her faith. And the sequence here is easy to see. She heard the words of the Lord, and then she 
went to Judah. Her faith translated into action. And this is what we see all throughout the Bible, right? Noah, if you remember, was told that God was going to flood the earth and that he needed to build an ark. And Noah acted upon that and he believed the Lord. Abraham was told to move to a foreign land and he obeyed and he got up and left. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel go. And Moses acted upon that. And we could go on all through the pages of Scripture. In fact, Hebrews 11, as you know, is, is uh, been known as the Hall of Faith. And it recounts how God's people of old lived by faith. And that that resulted in action. Now, if you are here this morning, you confess to have faith in Jesus Christ. Has your faith resulted in action? Because true faith always obeys. True faith always obeys. True faith is compelled to act upon the truth of God. Not just simply to hear it and say, oh, that's nice. But to say, what is that truth and how does my life need to conform to it? Now, we don't have angels speaking to us the word of God today, but we have the word of God written down for us. And this is the God-breathed word. As 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, this has come out of the mouth of God to us. And so our faith needs to act based upon what is here written for us in the Bible. And it's because of this word that then we act. And this is what should be evidenced in our lives as believers. For example... If you truly believe that the Bible is breathed out by God and is profitable for making you like Jesus, then you will read it. Simple as that. You'll spend time in it. Or if you believe that apart from Christ you can do nothing, John 15, 5, then you will pray and depend upon him. Or if you believe that your neighbors will spend eternity under the wrath of God and that Jesus is the only way to salvation, then that will prompt you to make efforts toward them to tell them how they might be rescued from such wrath. If we believe what the Word of God has said, then it prompts us to action. So I ask you, do you see your faith in action? James tells us in the book of James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. In other words, if your faith does not result in obedient action, then there is good reason to question whether your faith is true. It is by the actions that we show that our faith is real. It is by the fruit that we know that the tree is alive. We can't claim life if there's no fruit. Now, some of you may not see any Christian action really anywhere in your life. And that's because you're living your life based upon other beliefs. You're not trusting and believing what is written here. You're trusting and believing other truths. Truths such as maybe that your your physical pleasure is your greatest good. And so the action that results from that kind of faith is that you give your time and money and energy to satisfying that truth. 
Or maybe you believe that you are the authority in your life and you know what is good for your life. And so, therefore, you live selfishly, focusing on your desires and needs and wishes. Maybe you are living based upon the belief that you, unless you accumulate more blank, whatever that might be for you, so you keep buying and adding and accumulating things, thinking that that will make you happy. But based upon the authority of the Word of God this morning, I tell you that nothing will satisfy your soul other than Jesus Christ Himself. That until you repent of your rebellion against your Creator God and turn in faith to His Son, Jesus Christ, as the the perfect and sufficient sacrifice on your behalf, put your faith in Jesus and turn from your sin that salvation is found nowhere else. Eternal life is found nowhere else. Sure, all these other things provide temporary joys, but true lasting joy, joy that carries on into eternity, is found only in Jesus Christ. So, put your faith in Jesus and put it into action by turning from your sin and then come talk to us about getting baptized next week. That's putting your faith into action. Because the first step of a disciple of Jesus is to declare that publicly through the waters of baptism. So we've seen here by Mary's example that the first characteristic of true faith is that it takes action. It's put into action. But secondly, in verses 41 through 44, we see that true faith centers on Christ. True faith centers on Christ. Look at verse 41. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So after Mary greets Elizabeth, the most amazing, remarkable thing happens. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, as verse 44 further elaborates. This baby is John, as we, the, the narrative has told us earlier. And this leaping that took place seems to be something different than just a normal uh, baby kick inside a mother's womb that, that, that all mothers have felt at some point. This was a Holy Spirit-empowered jump that this baby in utero did. And we have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing this text to us to tell us that it was this sort of special jump. This is a word, the, the word for leaped is used in the Old Testament to describe lambs leaping or frolicking. And as we saw in verse, see in verse 44, it's a leap for joy. This leap signaled to Elizabeth that something special was happening. Remember that these two women probably haven't talked yet. They haven't shared details of what the angels have independently told them. It seems from the narrative that, that, Elizabeth, that Mary simply walks into the house, says, hello, relative Elizabeth, and they greet. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth goes, whoa, something's going on in here. And remember that Mary has just received a few days prior the news that, that she's going to conceive a son. So this is fresh news. This couldn't have traveled by anybody else. 
And so humanly speaking, there was no way for Elizabeth to know anything special was going on other than a relative had walked in the door that she hadn't heard from in a while. But it's interesting to think about the fact that John signaled to his mom that this was the Messiah. This is the mother of the Messiah. Because this fits perfectly with the mission that John has, right? John is the forerunner of the Messiah. He was there to prepare the way for the Lord. He was there to point people to the Messiah. And this is exactly what he's doing. Verse 15 of chapter 1 had told us that John was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And so here, even inside his mother's womb, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's beginning his ministry of pointing people to the Messiah, beginning with his mom. And so it's in this way that we see the text focusing on Jesus, the Messiah. Yes, John is special. Yes, what's happening to Elizabeth is special. Yes, what's happening to Mary is special. But the focus is on the one who's in Mary's womb. John, in his mom's womb, is trying to make that point and doing all that he can. And the only thing he can do is jump. He can't speak out yet. But he's trying to point these women to the one in Mary's womb. And by application, us today needs to see the one who's in Mary's womb as well. Elizabeth and John here model what this faith in the Messiah, faith in Jesus looks like. Now one side point, before we continue on looking at how this text focuses on Christ, that I want to make here just because it's, it's so clear and it has implications for a Christian worldview, how we think about life in this world from a biblical standpoint. And that is... How the Bible understands personhood. How the Bible understands when someone gains the title of personhood. And I believe it's clear from this text, which accords with the rest of the Bible, is that someone becomes a person at the point of conception. Both John, here, who is six months a six-month-old fetus, and, and Jesus, who is really just a few days out from conception... A few days are identified as persons here. In fact, as we're going to see in just a bit, Elizabeth calls Jesus my Lord. He's already her Lord. And so this has ramifications for how we view life in the womb. And it's why Christians throughout the centuries have viewed abortion, the killing of of life in the womb to be a violation of God's law. And this is foundational to a Christian worldview, and it's found in the pages of Scripture. And I believe it's important that we see that even in this text here. But we see that the faith of even John and what we will see next is Elizabeth is focused on the Messiah. And we see this in Elizabeth's beautiful exclamation in verses 42 and 43. And we see first in verse 42, she gives a prophetic blessing. A prophetic blessing. Pick up at the verse at the end of verse 41. It says, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We see that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This, in this way, she joins her son in the, in the odd way that her son was filled with the Spirit before she was. And then we see three months later that her husband, Zechariah, will be filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 67. And so this became quite the Spirit-filled family um, in which they all took on a prophetic role. This was a filling in order to help them to declare aspects of God's salvation plan. And so as the Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, she breaks out into joyous exclamation. She simply couldn't contain herself. And the language here, the the word for exclaimed here in the ESV, uh, is a word that's only used here in the New Testament. And it refers to this loud exclamation, a loud crying out. And then you add on top of that the words after that, which says, with a loud cry. So she cried out with a loud cry. She just... Woo! Blessed are you! Among, I mean, she just, I'm sure the neighbors had to have hear, had, had to have heard her loud cry. And she begins by declaring the blessing that rests upon Mary and upon her son. Now, it's important to see that she is not giving a blessing. In other words, that she has some sort of power, some sort of blessing in which she can bestow upon Mary and her son. She is simply recognizing the blessing of God that is already upon them. Elizabeth calls Mary blessed among women. This could mean that she is, and could be translated, most blessed among women. There's some debate there. But either way, Elizabeth is pointing out that God's blessing and favor has been bestowed to her and that she has the special privilege of bearing the Christ child. Now, this statement, it's important to to say, in no way endorses a worship of Mary as the, the Catholic Church teaches, but neither should we denigrate Mary at all. Sometimes in our Protestant uh, reaction to the Catholic teachings, we try to stamp Mary down. And yes, she is like one of us. She is a redeemed sinner. But she did have a special role. And we don't need to be afraid to highlight that. But it's important to see that her specialness does not rest in her alone. But it's because of the one in her womb. As Elizabeth states next, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. The point for us here is that Elizabeth recognizes that Mary's special status is contingent and flows from the superiority of the son within her. In other words, she's saying, you, Mary, are indeed blessed of God and special. But you are so special because God has chosen you to carry the most special one. Mary's specialness and elevated status comes from the one she's carrying. And that special one, Jesus Christ, is the one you and I must set our faith upon as well. We are indeed special in the eyes of the Father. We are a part of the family of God adopted, as the New Testament declares, which is an amazing reality. But our elevated status as being part of the family of God is derived, not inherent. It's derived from Christ himself. Because we are in Christ, we are loved unconditionally. 
and therefore have a special place in God's heart. And in that we rejoice. It's not because of anything in us. It's all because of what is in Jesus that we have a special place. So we see first here in Elizabeth's declaration, her uh, prophetic blessing. But secondly, we see her humble gratitude in verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, this verse begins with some awkward grammar in the Greek, which is why every translation kind of handles it a little bit differently. But they all capture the sense of the question. And that is that she is expressing humble surprise. Humble surprise to be involved in such significant events. And in this, we see the true humility expressed She doesn't glory in how great she is. She doesn't use this occasion to talk about how great she is because she gets to be a part of this and wow, I must be better than everybody else because God chose me. No. She's in authentic awe and wonder at the privilege to be involved in such a way. And folks, in the same way, we believers should be in awe and wonder that God would choose to love us and save us. Because we know who we are deep down. We know who we are apart from Christ. The sin that, that is there, that's so deeply entrenched, that is, that is an offense before a holy God, and that, that, that truly deserves to be punished forever. And yet God in His mercy and grace has chosen to rescue us, to save us, to place us in His Son, that we might be cherished and loved for all of eternity. Not second-class citizens in the kingdom. Not, not just brushed to the side and, oh yeah, you can come in, but, but don't get in the way. No, we get to come and to one day reign with Christ. Us? Part of the family of God? Why, should, why is this granted to us? that our Lord should save us. We are simply the clay and He is the potter, to borrow analogy from Paul. And so we bow before Him and thank Him for His unearned grace in our lives. Remember Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not the result of your works, so that no one may boast. We cannot boast when we stand before the cross. We simply need to have this humble gratitude that Elizabeth models for us here. Now, I want you to notice here that Elizabeth is in wonder and in gratitude and amazement that the mother of her Lord should come to her. But the amazing thing to see here is that she recognizes that the child in Mary's womb is her Lord. And this is significant in two ways. First is because she identifies Mary's child as the Lord. 
And this does two things. It identifies him as the Messiah, as Psalm 110 verse 1 says, which is quoted throughout the New Testament, that that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so therefore the Messiah is called the Lord there. And so by, by Elizabeth calling this Christ child Lord, she's identifying him as the Messiah. But it also identified him with Yahweh himself, with God. Because the Lord was the translation for the divine name throughout the Old Testament in their Greek Bibles. So as they heard the Old Testament read and quoted in Greek, they they read the divine name for God was the Lord. And here Elizabeth identifies the one in Mary who is just yet a few days out from conception as the Lord. A title that we know will be given Christ and that we as believers say to him as our Lord, the one who is in authority over us. But what I want you also to see here, secondly, is her declaration of faith. It's a personal declaration. She calls Jesus, my Lord. She doesn't just say the Lord. She says, my Lord. This child is the promised one who would do great things for the nation of Israel. But here, Elizabeth recognizes that it's this child who would do great things for her. This is my Lord. The one that I submit my life to, the one that I will follow, the one that I put my faith in. This child, she recognized, was worthy of her worship and worthy of her allegiance. How did she know that this was her Lord? Well, as verse 44 says, and as she recounts to Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. God sent a a special signal to Elizabeth so that she would know that this is the Messiah. Her prophet baby John indicated it to her. And here we see how Elizabeth models true faith that centers on Christ. Her focus all through her exclamation is on the Christ child who is currently in the womb of Mary. And folks, this is the calling for us today as well, that we set our hope and our worship and our allegiance completely upon Jesus Christ. If you and I are to have true faith, then we must have the eyes of our heart set upon Jesus. Nothing else will suffice. To have true faith is not to believe in whatever God works for you. True faith that saves, faith that transforms, has Christ as its object. And so, Christian, do not lose sight of Christ. Fix your eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of your faith, as Hebrews 12, 2 says. What does it mean for us in our daily lives to to fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, it can mean a number of things, but just as as helps and suggestions. When, When the worries of life, the anxieties burden us, We cast them upon Jesus in prayer because He cares for us. When our sins overwhelm us, we go to Him because He is our faithful high priest who forgives us and cleanses us with His own blood. When the sufferings of life threaten to drown us and life is difficult, 
We go to him who's the anchor of our souls and we cling to him and we do not let go. When we feel distant from God, we remember that through Christ we have been brought near. That at the cross, Jesus was made distant from his father so that we might know intimacy with him. And when we feel sad and depressed, we set our hope in Christ, knowing that he is with us and will stay with us until the end. He will not let us go. He will hold us fast. Friends, Jesus is our hope and our stay. He is the one that we cling to every moment of every day, no matter what you're going through. This room represents a thousand different situations in life, and yet Christ is sufficient for all of them. Believe that this morning. And take that with you. Now, if you have lost sight of Jesus this morning, if you say, yeah, I have faith, I believe, but Jesus is not crystal clear in my thought and in my heart, that my trust in him is not rock solid like it should be, I encourage you to simply ask God to help you. Cry out to him that he would help you to regain that clarity, to to see Jesus with, with, with renewed sight this morning. And that he might be the anchor that you cling to in your everyday life. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you haven't thrown your faith upon him, then you too can call out for God to save you right where you're at right now. Call out to him and and in your heart ask God to have mercy upon you. And to, and to put your trust fully on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. To realize that his death was in your place. That there upon the cross, he took the punishment that you deserved. And the Bible promises, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can go home a saved and forgiven person today. If only you trust in him fully. So we've seen that true faith takes action. True faith centers on Christ. And thirdly and lastly, true faith brings blessing. True faith brings blessing. And we see this in verse 45. Elizabeth finishes her exclamation here by saying, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now this last verse of the paragraph is perhaps the most beautiful. I know in one sense that's a subjective statement. But I would argue that I think this is the most beautiful of Elizabeth's statements. It's spoken by Elizabeth about Mary, but it's said in the third person so that it becomes, in one sense, a truism for all who follow in Mary's footsteps. A, a beatitude as is typically talked of these blessed are statements that we particularly see in Matthew chapter 5. But here is a beatitude here in, in Luke. Mary believed the word of God spoken to her through the angel. She believed that what was spoken to her would come to pass. Notice it says that she believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
She believed that it was going to happen. She was certain of it. She did not doubt it. And this, again, in the flow of Luke chapter 1, is a subtle contrast to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. Because if you remember, uh, Zechariah was also spoken to by an angel, just like Mary was. And what did Zechariah do? Did he believe that there would be fulfillment to what was spoken to him by the Lord? No, he initially doubted. He failed to believe. And therefore, he was struck dumb that he could not speak until his son was born. And yet here, Elizabeth praises Mary for the faith that she had and her, her husband didn't. And that she's reminded of every day as she cannot hear from her husband. But Elizabeth declares that favor was upon Mary from the Lord because of her faith. And folks, as I said, this is a truism for all who follow in Mary's footsteps. That there is blessing that rests upon everyone who places his trust firmly on the word of God. As we said, we don't have angels speaking to us the word of God today, but we have the word of God inscripturated for us here in the Bible. And therefore, we receive blessing when we believe what it says in these pages. And this, again, Elizabeth highlighting Mary's special status as the one carrying the Christ child, but here ends her declaration on saying that her blessing is because she believed the word of God. And Luke, pulling together uh, Jesus' words and, and helping his reader to understand that the most important thing is not Mary's carrying the child as much as it is Mary's faith in what was spoken to her. And we see this because of what is written later on in the book of Luke. And I invite you to turn there to Luke chapter 11. There's two verses here in Luke chapter 11. And they're only recorded in Luke. The other gospels do not carry this account. And again, I think is intentional by Luke to make this point emphatically clear. That even though Mary had a special status for carrying the Christ child... She is most to be praised and most to be followed and most to be exampled because of her faith. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. It says, And he, as he, being Jesus, said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he, Jesus, said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus emphatically makes the point that the blessing truly comes to those who hear the word of God and keep it, who obey it. In other words, he's even saying about his own mother that blessing is found in her life because she hears the word of God and because she keeps it, not just because of the fact that she bore him. And so this is what we need to hear today. We must hear the word of God, we must believe it, and we must keep it. But as the two stories of Zechariah and Mary illustrate for us, that it's possible for faithful followers of God to choose either belief or unbelief given the situation, right? We can be fickle. We can flip back and forth in a single day, in a single hour, right? And so it's possible for us to disbelieve at times. And this is reality, folks, what our everyday battle is. 
Every day we step in with a battle between, are we going to believe the truth or are we going to believe lies? Are we going to believe what the word of God says? We're going to believe what our flesh tells us. And those are the decisions that we face every day. Decisions that the word of God speaks into. And decisions that if we believe the word of God and we keep it, we will find blessing. And yet if we listen to the flesh and trust in the flesh, we'll reap consequences. And so, as believers, as we, as we head out in our thousand different ways every week, we must take the word of God with us, planting it deep into our hearts so that we might have it ready on hand, so that in those moments, we can choose to believe and trust and follow the word of God and not listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil that seeks to put truth before us, but it's actually lies. We must be among those who have faith in the promises of God. And we must know the word of God and believe it. What are some truths that we take with us every day? Well, we take Acts 4.12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We take Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth Nothing on earth, nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We take Hebrews 13, 5, in which it quotes Jesus, which says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We take 1 Corinthians 10, 13 with us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We take Matthew chapter 6. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know God, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we take 1 John 3 with us. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Every day we have a choice of whether we're going to believe the truth or believe lies. And so let us step forward into this week with true faith believing the word of God that has been spoken to us, that we might stand firm, cling to Christ, and take action before us. At the end of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, at the end of Christian's pilgrimage, there is a reoccurring character that shows up, a character that we had had met earlier in the story, and he shows up at the very end, the gates of the celestial city. His name is Ignorance. 
Ignorance makes it all the way to the gates of, of heaven. And it reads the sign over the door, which read, Blessed are they that do his commandments. He thought, Well, I have obeyed the king always. And thus he knocked at the gate. But see, he quite forgot that the king had desired his pilgrims to begin their journey at the narrow gate and to travel by the way of the cross. He had heard of this many times, but he had not cared about it. And so the king's blessings could not be given to him. He knocked twice, but no one opened the gates. And he was then cast away from heaven into the country of the wicked prince forever. True faith is a reality of utmost importance for each one of you. Please do not go home today without being assured that you have that true faith and are secure in Christ. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for examples of great faith. And we're also thankful for examples of faltering faith. For somewhere in the middle there, we find ourselves. We believe, but oh, we need help to, to strengthen us and to turn us away from our unbelief. We know that until we reach that celestial city, until we are, see you as you are, and we are thus purified completely, that we will forever struggle with trusting and not doubting. But we thank you that you are faithful. That even when we are faithless, you are faithful. That you have compassion and patience upon us. Father, may you draw us to yourself this morning. Cause us to throw ourselves upon you, pleading for your help, that you might help us to be more faithful pilgrims in the path you have before us this week. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.